John 20, verse 19 through 29. This is the word of God. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. and Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The grass withers, the flower fades. This is God's word and it stands forever. Verse 25. 2,000 years later. These are the words that we associate with Thomas. I will never believe unless I see it Unless I touch it, I will not believe it. Jesus had appeared, as we read in the earlier verses, to some of the disciples. And when they relayed the information to Thomas, who had been absent from that meeting, he refused to accept their story. And so when we think of Thomas, it's that stubborn a defiant disbelief that we think of. I will never believe. And so we call him Doubting Thomas. And yet, they're not Thomas's final words, are they? No, they're, in fact, not even his most significant words in this story. He speaks again in verse 28. Not words of doubt, but of disbelief. Or, but of belief, excuse me, of belief. My Lord and my God. Do we remember that statement as well? My Lord and my God. So how does one get from stubborn disbelief uh, to this humble declaration of faith? What happens between verses 25 and 28? The answer is that Thomas has an encounter with the risen Savior. He meets Jesus. Now, we will all struggle with doubts at times. And when we do, we should think of Thomas. Not primarily because he was a doubter. Primarily 
says he's a believer. That's why we should think of Thomas. Not because he was a doubter, but because he's a believer. We look to Thomas as the every Christian. And we're going to learn from this encounter between Thomas and his master that the risen Christ wants us to believe. And he wants you to believe too. So, tonight, three things worthy of our consideration, considering um, as we consider how Jesus uh, speaks to Thomas, how he interacts with Thomas here. And what that means for us. First, note that Jesus cares about our doubts. That's the first thing. Jesus cares about our doubts. And that's clear even before we get to Thomas. I began reading in verse 19 for a reason because I want us to remember that Thomas isn't the only doubter. All the disciples doubted. Every single one at some point or another doubted the claims that Jesus made, including the resurrection. And their doubts, all of them, each to a man, were only dispelled once they saw Jesus. So, in that sense, Thomas is not different from the uh, rest of the disciples. He doesn't stand out from the rest of the disciples. They all have these doubts. And yet, when Jesus appears to the, uh, well, it would be the ten in this instance, because Judas is dead and Thomas is missing, what happens? It says that he came and he stood among them. Verse 19, he said, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So they got to see what Thomas wanted to see later. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So he does the very same thing that he will do for Thomas. He shows them the wounds. And why? It's so that they'll know it's him. It's so that they'll believe. So that they won't doubt. That's why they need this proof, because clearly they are doubting. It's only in seeing the wounds that the disciples acknowledge him as their Lord. So Thomas isn't a special category of Christian. He is the every Christian. He is every disciple of the Lord at some point or another in need of the Lord's mercy and the Lord's compassion. That's what the ten received that night. Thomas, Thomas received, well we can call him Tom. Be chummy with him. Tom receives it the next week. By the way, here's just a freebie for you. This isn't really part of the sermon, but here's a, just a little bonus. Uh, do you see what you risk when you miss out on going to church? Do you see that? Uh, why is Thomas kept in suspense and anxiety all week while all the other disciples are rejoicing and they are glad they were at church and he wasn't. He didn't heed the caution of Hebrews not neglect to meet together. J.C. Ryle, in his commentary, spent like three pages on this, what I thought was just kind of a bonus point. He really went off on this. Here's a... Here's a... um, Excerpt from J.C. Ryle. Listen to what he says here. He says, Never be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. Never miss the Lord's Supper when it's administered in your own congregation. Never let our place be empty 
when means of grace are going on. So what are the means of grace? He already mentioned the Lord's Supper, but even prayer. Or I would say don't miss prayer meeting. The very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain a precious word in season for our souls. The very assembly of prayer and praise, there it is, the prayer meeting, the assembly of prayer that we stay away from is the very gathering which would have cheered and established and brought our hearts to life. We little know how dependent our spiritual health is on little, regular, habitual helps and how much we suffer if we miss our medicine. What's our medicine? Our medicine is this right now, worship. Our medicine is when we gather with the fellowship of believers. It's the means of grace. It's Bible study. It's prayer meeting. That's what we need to get through the week. And we all have troubles and anxieties we deal with and stressors. And could it be that the reason you are so stressed out this week is because you weren't at prayer meeting last week? Tom came up to me, not the disciple, I know, I said we were calling him Tom. Now I'm talking about Vanderbilt. Came up to me this morning, and he didn't know I was going to say any of this, but he said, you know, um, I really wish you would preach this sermon this morning. I said, why is that? Because he says, to me, the whole story about Thomas isn't about the doubting or the believing. It's about how important it is to go to Sunday night church. Something to that. Because what do we learn from Thomas? When you miss out on worship, you're not missing out on the... When you miss out on the assembly, you're not missing the assembly. You're missing Jesus. That's what Thomas missed. He missed meeting Jesus. So, (coughs) go to church. Go to Sunday school. Go to Sunday night church. Go to prayer meeting. Go to Bible study. You meet Jesus in these places, and you need him. So, that was just a freebie. Now back to the sermon. Uh, Jesus visits the disciples again, this time ensuring that Thomas is present to be a witness. Not only that, he draws Thomas into uh, a conversation. He singles him out, not to shame him, but to welcome him into the world of belief and faith. You know, Jesus could have said, Thomas... You know, you need to believe like the other ten believed or else you can get out. You're excommunicated because you're a doubter. This club is for the faithful and the firm in faith. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. Instead, he invites Thomas to do the very thing that Thomas had said needed to be done. It's almost as though Jesus had heard that conversation. It's almost as though Jesus knew what Thomas said. And of course, he did. But Thomas... Didn't want to just see the wounds. He ups the ante from what the disciples experienced. He says, I want to touch them. Unless I touch the wounds, I will not believe. And so Jesus says, verse 27, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. And we're going to talk about that invitation in just a moment. But first, let me say tonight that you may have doubts. Maybe they're not doubts about the resurrection. Maybe you doubt, doubt um, your salvation. Maybe you lack assurance tonight. Maybe you have doubts about God's promises, whether or not they're for you. Maybe you doubt what tomorrow will hold and if everything really work out for your good. 
this scene is a comfort to doubters in general. The whole, that, whole group of comp- that whole company we can call doubters. Why? Because we see that Jesus, although he does not condone disbelief or doubt, he does not chastise us for them either. He comes to us in our ditch of disbelief, our ditch of doubt, and he extends a hand to pull us out and to set our feet on the solid ground of faith. So if you lack assurance of salvation, remember that Jesus will never break a bruised reed. He will never snuff out that faintly burning wick. He deals with our weaknesses, even the weakness uh, or the infirmity of our faith with gentleness and care. He has compassion on those who suffer the affliction of a weak conscience or timid heart. The cross is proof that he sympathizes with us, right? He dies, of course, he suffers with us, but he's taken that proof of his sympathizing heart into resurrection glory by still bearing the marks of his suffering as though to say, look, I'm still for you. I want to show you that I condescend to you, that I come to you. As one OP pastor, Jeremiah Montgomery, is fond of saying, the holes in our faith are paid for by the holes in his hands. Jesus cares about our doubts. Second, Jesus provides means to strengthen our faith. That's the second thing. He cares about our doubts, and he provides means to strengthen our faith. So, this is the invitation. For Thomas, he invites him to touch the wounds left from the crucifixion. And these tangible marks would assure Thomas that the man he saw standing before him was the very same man hanging lifeless on a cross uh, just days earlier. And we receive something very similar to Thomas in that regard. And I'll tell you what that is in one second. It's the Lord's Supper. The bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. Just as Thomas was encouraged to touch the hands of Christ, we touch and feel the bread, which is the body of Christ. As Thomas was encouraged to place his hand at the side of his master, we likewise take the cup and we remember the blood that poured forth from that side. Thomas wanted one better than to see. Remember? The disciples got to see. He says, I want to see and I want to touch. We get to do one better than touch. We get to taste. We get to taste. We get to receive into our own bodies the memorial of Christ's body. And in tasting, we do actually see. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34. The Lord knows that if we do not taste, if we don't experience Him, we'll never believe Him. And so, He gives us tangible ways to strengthen our weak faith. Our catechism actually teaches us that that's part of the whole point of of the sacraments. That they're for doubters, like you and me. Question 172 of the larger catechism asks this. May one who doubts of his being in Christ, 
or of his due preparation. If he doubts me in Christ or if he doubts that he prepared well enough, may that person partake of the Lord's Supper. That's the question. Okay? If you doubt that you really are a Christian, and if you doubt that you prepared well enough and hard enough, can you come to the table? Here's the answer. Maybe it will surprise you. One who doubts of his being in Christ or of his due preparation to the sacrament may have true interest in Christ, though he's not assured of that, of that fact. And in God's account, he does have this interest if he's duly affected with the apprehension of the lack of it. If he understands he lacks a sense of being in Christ, but he needs it. If he sincerely desires to be found in Christ, and if he wants to depart from iniquity... Now, here's what the Catechism says. In that case, because promises are made, and this sacrament is appointed for the relief even of weak and doubting Christians, he is to bewail his unbelief and labor to have his doubt resolved, and so doing, he may and he must. He must come to the Lord's Supper that he may be further strengthened. He can And he ought to. Because why? Because it's for doubters. So yeah, it would be a lot easier to believe in a Jesus who had never yet ascended and who's still walking amongst us. Nevertheless, Jesus helps us in our belief. Even though he's not right here with us, he still helps us, providing confirmation like the sacrament to remind us of the reality of his death and resurrection. And he gives us this sweet benediction as we found it in John 20. Blessed are those who believe even though they have not seen. And that's, that's where we live. That's the time we live, right? We don't see and yet we can still receive that blessing of our Savior if we believe. So Jesus cares about our doubts. He strengthens our weak faith. And finally, he causes us to believe. This is the most fundamental thing. He causes us to believe. We have missed the story entirely if we don't recognize that Thomas's exclamation, my Lord and my God, is occasioned by Jesus' words to him. It's the product of hearing the gracious words of his Savior where Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. I want you to believe. You remember, he doesn't even touch the wounds. That's something I think we often forget. Jesus says, come, ahead, come over and you can, you can touch and you can, you can see it and you can place your hand at my side and know that I am really the one who a few days ago was hanging dead on a cross and I'm, I've been resurrected, I've been raised. I don't want you to disbelieve. Come here and believe. And Thomas doesn't touch and then say, wow, my Lord and my God. No, upon hearing this invitation to believe, he says, my Lord and my God. Devotion. In doxology, first notice the doxology. Thomas grants the greatest statement of faith that we have recorded anywhere in the Gospels. Did you know that? Like I said, it's really sad. We remember him for that statement. I will never believe, and yet he gives the greatest declaration of faith that we find in all the Gospels. We've read from um, uh, Martha that she said Jesus is the Son of God. Peter said the same thing when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of God, Son of the living God. The centurion standing at the cross says, Truly this man is the Son of God, and these things are true enough. Yet Thomas says, not that he's the Son of God, but he is God, and that's truer still. This is God. 
This is God. Here, very interestingly, John, as the author, brings to a conclusion his entire book, the purpose of his book. We were given kind of a thesis statement in verse 1. Everybody knows it, I'm sure. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the thing John begins with, and now at the very end, somebody finally agrees. My Lord and my God. Here's one who's not just like God or just related to God in some way. This is God. Thomas gives the greatest declaration of faith that you will find anywhere in the Gospels. The faith of Thomas is astounding. That doxology is astounding. But then there's devotion, too, because he says, My Lord. And he says, My God. In an instant, he owns not only the deity of Christ, but the sheer mercy of Christ in claiming him as his own. He believes that God is for him in the person of Jesus Christ. It's as though he falls before him as a servant, ready to do his bidding, as a worshiper, ready to give him praise and glory. This is believing Thomas, and this is how we should remember him. And he believes because Christ willed for him to believe. In verse 27, do not disbelieve, but believe. And if you are a Christian here tonight, the reason you are is because Christ has spoken those very same words into your heart. By the power of his spirit, through the scriptures, he has willed for you to believe. He has said to you in your inner being, don't doubt, don't disbelieve, believe me. And when Jesus says, believe me, in the heart, by the power of the spirit, nobody continues doubting. Not in the ultimate sense. Nobody will continue in disbelief. No, not in the ultimate sense. Because whoever Jesus comes for, he gets, he finds. And so when he wills us to believe, we believe. He has given us signs and symbols to confirm his word, but our faith is not in the signs. Our faith is in his word. A word which works so powerfully to produce a full-hearted faith in us. I said a word about if you're a Christian tonight, if you're a non-believer this evening, know that God wants you to be saved. God wants you to believe. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And if you're finding it really difficult to believe in Him, know that it's not the fault of God. He's not trying to trick you. Uh, God does not place obstacles in our way when it comes to us uh, enacting saving faith. I think the exact opposite is taught us in this episode, that God is willing to condescend to us to remove any obstacles so that we would believe. Though Thomas does not touch, Jesus is willing for him to, because he wants him to be saved. God wants you to be saved. Jesus wants you to believe. Show me your hands and sighed. Thomas demands of him. How rude. And yet Jesus acquiesces. How gracious. James Boyce says, We have no right to demand anything of him. Yet he who has created us and has died to redeem us stoops to provide what we need. Do we need evidence? If we do, and if we will approach the matter honestly, 
we will find the proof of his deity, death for sinners, the proof of the resurrection, the proof of promised return. We will find these proofs overwhelming. Do you say, but I don't see it? Well, then come to him. Ask for the evidence. You will find that God, who is far more anxious to reveal himself to you than you are to find him, will provide the revelation. Did you hear that last part? Let me read that again. You will find that God, who is far more anxious to reveal himself to you than you are to find him, will grant, will provide the revelation. So, you know, that means, friends, we have every reason to pursue stronger faith. Doubting is dangerous, and though Jesus accommodates our doubts, he doesn't wish them upon us. He wants us to have firm faith. Doubting distracts us from serving him wholeheartedly. It, it denies us answers to prayers. It robs us of the joys of our salvation. That's, that's what we saw, right? Thomas is there uh, all week wondering, what, what are they talking about? What's going on? They are so joyful, and yet here I'm so anxious, and I'm so puzzled, and I'm so confused. Doubting isn't good. That doesn't need to be your story. Because the powerful Christ wills us out of the dungeon of doubt. Pick up your Bible. Read his promises. Come to church. Partake of the sacraments. Go to prayer meeting. Meet Jesus. He is the only one who can dispel your doubts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you don't remain far off from us. But you come down to us. You condescend to us in every way imaginable. And you condescend to us so that we would have no excuse not to believe. Thank you for your graciousness. And we ask that if we've been challenged tonight, we would take up your word and we would read it. And reading it, we would believe it. Work in us by your spirit to that end. And Lord, never... Allow us to miss out on an opportunity to meet with Jesus and to have our faith strengthened yet again as we've been able to do tonight. We prayed in his name. Amen.